A sense of unity and excitement was in the air Sunday when the DPP's seven mayors and county commissioners came together and jointly endorsed former transport chief Ling Jialong as the party's mayoral candidate in New Taipei City. The municipal elections are slated for the end of November. Meanwhile, the DPP's campaign committee met to discuss the candidates it planned to run in Greater Taipei's mayoral races. Sources say the party does intend to put up Lin for New Taipei City and Health Minister Chen Shizhong for the capital. The DPP Central Executive Committee is expected to meet this Wednesday to ratify these nominations. On Sunday evening, Minister Chen released a statement saying that he would not shirk any responsibility, be it epidemic prevention or election. Many people in Taiwan are still mourning the assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo. In the latest, DPP Taipei City Councilor Hong Jianyi has paid out of pocket for a memorial wall which is set up right outside Japan's de facto embassy for members of the public to write farewell messages. President Tsai Ing-wen has also decreed that on Monday, government agencies and schools across the nation will fly the national flag at half-staff. But the measure has been criticized by Ye Qingyuan, a former KMT official, who insists the late prime minister didn't do much for either Taiwan or world peace. A big white wall is erected in front of the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association, Japan's unofficial embassy in Taiwan. Passers-by stopped to take a look, and many picked up pens and wrote down the thoughts they wanted to share with former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo, who died just a couple of days ago. I wrote that I'll remember him fondly forever, while my dad wrote that we'll eternally be one family. I feel even more sad than I thought I'd be. When he was alive, I never imagined that I'd have such a strong reaction to his departure. Abe Shinzo was an extremely idealistic politician and made such a big contribution to the international community. Someone made a suggestion. So on Saturday, a little after 1 p.m., I asked the company to put up this wall so that everyone could sign it. After 4 p.m., the wall was completed and people began to flock in one after another to sign. By the evening, there were still people there. The public has expressed various condolences to Abe in their own way. The Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association also decided that it would open up its culture hall in the basement on Monday and Tuesday so that the public can come in and mourn or pay tribute to him. President Tsai and her government have also decided that national flags would fly at half-mast on Monday at government agencies and public schools. However, for Ye Qingyuan, the former chairman of the KMT's Evaluation and Discipline Committee, this was unacceptable. On social media, he demanded to know why flags will be flown at half-mast, saying Abe was no longer Japan's head of state. He was not the leader of a diplomatic ally, and he hadn't even made a great contribution to either Taiwan, world peace or human progress. He said the Tsai government could flatter Japan all at once, but her government should not break any laws while doing so. This is totally unacceptable. The KMT can't distinguish between right and wrong. It just wants to flatter the CCP, and that's the only choice. 
I don't think there are any problems with currying favor with Japan or breaking the law. Given Abe's friendliness to Taiwan and his contributions to world peace, I think it's okay to fly flags at half-staff like this. It's also worth noting that before the Taiwanese government made this decision, other nations including the US and India had already decided to fly their flags at half-mast to mourn the former Japanese leader. Taiwan launched its locally made HTTP-3A research rocket for a test flight Sunday. The rocket, which uses a mix of liquid and solid-state propellants, is designed to eventually carry miniature satellites into orbit. It was developed by a rocket research center at National Yangmingjiao Tong University. At 6.12 a.m., it blasted off from a launch site in Makaran, a village in Pingdong County. After traveling vertically for 30 seconds, it dipped. A minute and 20 seconds later, it touched down in the ocean. That's one big successful step. Our rocket smoothly took off from our launch pad, and the whole process was controlled by the rocket's autonomous navigation and flight system. I think this is a historic moment. This is the first liftoff from a launch pad that was set up by our nation according to law. We are very happy and delighted. Today we were very lucky to witness a successful rocket launch. The Advanced Rocket Research Center and National Yangming Tong University oversaw the rocket's launch. It is the world's first rocket for carrying satellites with guidance and control technologies. Following three years of research and development, Sunday's launch was a test of the second-stage rocket propulsion system, which kicks in when the rocket reaches a certain altitude. A test of the first-stage rocket, as well as the separation mechanism, could take place early next year, the center says. On Sunday, the rocket reached an altitude of three kilometers. Despite the original plan to reach a maximum altitude of 10 kilometers in an eight-minute flight, the team still hailed the test flight as a 99.9% success. Surgical masks have become a daily necessity in people's lives ever since COVID erupted. Many families buy them in bulk and store them at home. But masks that have been left unused for too long may become moldy, even if their packaging has been kept intact. How should we store them? A pharmacist has some suggestions. If a mask has become moldy, you can clearly see it because we'll likely see mold spots on it with the naked eye. I suggest that people not hoard too many masks. The kinds of medical masks we wear these days can be stored for approximately three years. If they are N95 masks, they can be stored for about five years. As long as these guidelines are followed and the masks are placed in a cool and dry place, then you can't really go wrong. To prevent masks from degrading, this pharmacist recommends storing an open mask in a box or a Ziploc bag to prevent them from coming in contact with air for too long. In addition, you can use desiccants to keep them dry so mold is prevented from growing. In places where the humidity is high, you can use coffee grounds or baking soda to get the effect of a dehumidifier and deodorizer. 
However, if a mask is already moldy, using it can increase your chances of infection, and it's best to just throw it out. Every day, the news is full of shocking stories of traffic accidents. Occasionally, a heartbreaking story will catch special attention. But in general, we often take for granted the number of fatal accidents on Taiwan's roads. Today, we want to ask if that should change. Traffic accidents are getting more and more frequent, but other countries don't have roads as deadly as Taiwan's. Campaigners are calling for laws to change and better road safety education in schools. Just why are Taiwan's roads so dangerous? Here's part one of our two-part series, The Crisis of Road Safety. A truck turns a bend. The driver doesn't see this scooter rider who is thrown to the ground. A delivery rider is crossing a junction. He's got the green light, but suddenly a van careens into him. This rider couldn't swerve fast enough. Accidents like this are so frequent on Taiwan's roads. Looking at our overall figures from last year, every day, eight people will leave their home and never come back because we have eight fatalities due to traffic accidents every day. We do live in an extremely dangerous traffic environment, and we don't even realize it. Because we're so used to it, we think it's normal. So road safety should be seen as a kind of national security problem. We don't live here anymore. This is his workroom. We've kept it exactly the same as it was. This room once belonged to Ran Shenxiang. It's like time stands still here. Everything has been left untouched, from the awards he's received over the years to his toys and treasured photographs. Even his familiar orange jacket still hangs on the back of the chair. This is him as a baby. We haven't moved his things. Photos of the family celebrating happy times sit on the bookshelves, but Mrs. Run is marking the seventh anniversary of Shen Xiang's death. He was so good-hearted. He never went through a rebellious phase. He was so tall, taller than me. He was big and strong as a kid too, and he would be scared if I got angry. For example, when I had to tell him off, one time he had done something naughty and I couldn't smack him. He knelt down on the ground telling me to spank him. In Mrs. Ran's memory, Sheng Xiang is still the gentle giant she raised with love. He was so sweet with his sister. I was pregnant with her, and I told him, when your little sister is born, you have to take good care of her. He never fought over things with her. If he had some nice thing, he'd always let her use it first. He loved her very much. It's his birthday on the lunar calendar today. I've got this tattoo with him on. It says, my dear baby. If Sheng Xiang hadn't been killed in a traffic accident, he would now be 28. The accident happened on Xinghai Bridge when he was just 21. Past 8 p.m. on the 19th, Mr. Fu was driving a taxi across Xinghai Bridge when he suddenly lost control of the vehicle. Serving left, he drove through the traffic control bollards of the central lane, crashing, crashing into two scooters driving in the opposite directions. Both scooters' riders were thrown from their seats. They were taken to the hospital where they both died of their injuries. At the scene of the accident, one scooter was badly mangled. 
the other was trapped between the taxi and the side of the curb. The taxi itself sustained damage, with a broken windshield and airbag set off. It's clear the crash was massive. This was how Mrs. Run's beloved son passed away. She and her husband could hardly accept the tragedy and have grieved intensely for years. They've not yet been able to rebuild their lives and have sometimes experienced suicidal thoughts. No matter what kind of awful problem you have, you can still feel like there is hope. But this suddenly takes away all your hope in life. Your life is not worth living anymore because I've always loved my kids so much. They are everything to me. The Ran family has run a funeral home for more than 30 years. Shengxiang's father, Ran Chaobun, is no stranger to death. He says he was an inattentive young father who was more concerned with his own amusement than cherishing time with his son. When his son was killed, it turned his life upside down, and he experienced a pain he could never have imagined. Before, when I met the families of deceased persons, I often said the stock phrase, please keep your head up. But since Shengxiang passed away, we don't say that, because it's impossible to keep your head up. Now I just tell people, hang in there. Seven years after the accident, Chaobin is still unwilling to enter his son's room. He doesn't want to stir up the pain. I can't live there anymore. There are traces of my son everywhere. I couldn't go into work for about three years. I couldn't cross Xinhai Bridge for five whole years. I only recently managed. But every time I cross it, I say his name. Xinhai Bridge is just nine meters wide. Though it serves traffic both ways, it originally had no barrier between the lanes. The barrier was only erected after Ran Chaobun campaigned for it. What I have to ask is, we all know we can have barriers. Why did we have to sacrifice two lives, sacrifice two families, for them to be willing to make a barrier? The facts prove that after we had the barrier, there were no more fatal accidents. Taiwan's media is full of lurid stories of road accidents and the grief of victims' families. Many people have become inured to such news. But behind every statistic is a family broken in an unspeakable pain. Just how bad is Taiwan's road safety? Our initial estimate is that 3,000 people die on Taiwan's roads every year. There are also more than 480,000 people injured. In total, it's almost 500 billion NT. That's the annual losses. How much is 500 billion NT? 500 billion NT can build a high-speed railway. Think about it, is that serious? Is that a big number? It's about 3% of our GDP. Does anyone care? In 2020 alone, 2,972 people died in traffic accidents in Taiwan, and 485,000 people were injured. But the most worrying fact is that those figures have increased steadily for five years. So this is terrifying. It's not going down, it's increasing. Compared to other OCED countries, it's much, much higher. In the past, in Japan in the 70s, it was the same. It was like a transport war. Now it's reached a really terrifying point. Think about it. If 3,000 people die in one year, in three years, it's almost 10,000 people. 
Taiwan's transport ministry has bloody statistics in its files. Annual road fatalities have increased every year from the figure of 2,697 in 2017. In just five years, 14,161 people have lost their lives on the road, and more than 2 million people have been injured. Those figures are more like the results of a war than a transportation network. It's especially shocking for immigrants. Editorial journalist Miho Tanaka has lived in Taiwan for eight years. She raged against the terrible state of road safety in Taiwan in one of her latest articles. I have never seen a traffic accident in Japan, but since coming to Taiwan, I've seen one every month or even more. I've seen so many accidents, and sometimes I've been hit myself. And when I'm on the bus, the way the drivers drive is so shocking. So I've gradually been building up this sense of what the hell is going on. Tanaka points out that Japan has a population six times that of Taiwan but it has fewer fatal road accidents. Her article urged Japanese people to take care if they come on holiday to Taiwan post-pandemic. It ignited spirited debate in both Japan and Taiwan, with lots of online commentators echoing its sentiments. Actually, since the article was published, lots of my Japanese friends in Taiwan have told me that they were thinking the same thing and thanked me for saying it. Taiwanese people may be blasé about the road safety issues here, but many residents from overseas are less sanguine. Japan's transport ministry has even warned its country folk about Taiwan's roads. We are indeed in an extremely dangerous traffic environment, and we don't even know it. We think it's normal because we're used to it. Traffic accidents are absolutely not just a matter of luck. They're related to our emergency services, our financial systems. Families can break down because someone is injured. So road safety problems should be seen as a kind of national security issue. Road safety is in fact a hot topic for reform worldwide. In 2010, the United Nations published a 10-year road safety action plan which aimed to cut global traffic accident deaths in half by 2020. In 2015, Taiwan's executive yuan published its own road safety progress plan, vowing to strive for zero deaths and serious injuries. The short-term goal was to have fewer than 2,500 fatalities annually by 2019. But that was not to be. What do you think of the state of Taiwan's roads, if you compare them to other countries? We can't beat around the bush about this. Compared to other OECD member states, we are in the remedial class. We used to hope that we could improve as fast as possible. But in the last few years, in fact, the big picture has really changed very fast. The Transport Ministry says there are several factors in Taiwan's worsening road safety crisis. One is the ever-increasing number of scooters on the road. There were 13.66 million in 2016. In 2021, it was 14.25 million, representing a rise of nearly 600,000 in six years. To make matters worse, as Taiwan's elderly population increases, the number of older adults getting killed on the road is growing too. 
For example, in 2020 there were 2,972 deaths in traffic accidents, but 1,235 of those were people age 65 or above, that's 41% of the population. But that age group is only 16% of the overall population, so it's obvious that if an older adult gets in an accident, if they're hit, they're often very likely to pass away. So older adults are the most vulnerable road users. The roads are more and more complicated. Is the government doing enough to keep us safe? We're not analyzing our traffic accidents deeply enough. If an accident occurs today, you'll probably know that the victim died afterward, but you don't go on and analyze the causes of the death. So that's why we're demanding that the MOTC Road Safety Data website has as much data as possible that will make it easy to analyze farther and to actually diagnose the problem, to find solutions that will actually reduce the number of accidents like that. If even basic analyses are lacking, how can officials reform the roads? Meanwhile, another major issue is road safety education. Taiwan lags way behind other nations. The three E's are a common refrain among road safety campaigners, education, engineering, and enforcement. Road safety education is a vital part of reforming Taiwan's traffic culture. In Japan, road safety classes are a staple of childhood. Elementary schools teach kids how to work out the speed of a vehicle and where its blind spots are. Lessons are even taught using realistic simulations. Road safety concepts are drilled into Japanese schoolchildren, who learn everything from the hazards posed by large trucks to the risks of carrying an umbrella on a bicycle. But in Taiwan, there is no equivalent systematic road safety education for children. What education do we offer? Even if we just talk about the basics, could the Ministry of Education offer four hours of class? In South Korea, they have 24 hours. I'm sorry, we do have something. Schools say we do teach it, but how do they? We're still seeing calligraphy competitions and essay competitions. If you ask a member of the public, in all these years, what did your school and driving education teach you? How much knowledge and skills did you get to protect your safety on the road? How did the teacher teach road safety? They say they do it, but they don't really teach it, and not systematically. Taiwan wanted to pass a law saying schools must teach road safety, but it couldn't get passed. If even that didn't get passed, if you don't forcefully promote road safety education, then how are we going to get the general public to develop these habits from childhood? Every day, eight people in Taiwan leave home and never come back. As our road conditions continue to get more complex, many experts believe that more must be done to make our roads safer. <laughs>